This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome to Beyond the Arc. My name is Kevin O'Connor and it's NBA Draft Day, folks. It's one of my favorite days of the entire year. Today, my guests are Tate Frazier. We're going to talk about our expectations on draft night and some of the things happening around the NBA. And then I bring on Mirren Fader, my friend, co-worker from The Ringer. And we're going to discuss her profiles on Scoot Henderson, Amen and Osar, the Thompson Twins. I love these discussions today because it's important to consider the other guy's Aside from Wemby, who, of course, Victor Wembenyama is the best prospect since LeBron James. He's going to be good or great for many, many years to come. It's just a matter of what level does he reach? Is he a Hall of Fame talent? Is he a multi-time all-star? That's going to have a lot to do with his durability and the development of his perimeter game on offense. But the other guys, Scoot Henderson, if Scoot figures out his jumper, and if Amen and Osar Thompson, they figure out their jumpers, Scoot, six foot two, downhill attacking guard, the Thompson twins, both six foot seven, versatile defenders, playmaker, connective pieces. Those guys, if they figure out their jumpers, they have a long time all-star potential. For Brandon Miller, wing out of Alabama, it's the opposite with him developing beyond shooting and playmaking, becoming more of an interior finisher. That's going to be the key for him to become a multi-time all-star for many years to come. But this top five, those guys, Wemby, Scoot, the Thompson twins and Miller, this top five is strong. And I know there are some analysts who say it's weak beyond those guys. I disagree. I think this class is strong. It's deep. The lottery is littered with guys. I really like in this class, Kobe Bufkin, you got Black out of Arkansas, Hendricks out of UCF, the late first round, the second round as well, Kobe Jones, Omax Prosper, Jame Hawkes, Jordan Walsh. This draft class has so many guys from the top until the middle of the draft where they're going to come in right away. They're going to either give hope to a franchise with those top five guys or they're going to be able to play right away for those teams drafting in the late 20s, 30s, and 40s. I love this class. It's probably my favorite entering the draft in my time with the ringer since 2017. That 2018 class was really good too, but I'm fired up about it. And today for beyond the arc, I'm excited to talk about it with my guests before the draft itself on Thursday night, recording this on Wednesday. So some news could change. Let's get into it first though with Tate Frazier. 
Tate, we're here on draft day. Oh, yeah. All reports seem to say that Brandon Miller is going to go to the Charlotte Hornets with the number two pick after Victor Wembanyama goes to the Spurs with the number one pick. Are we to believe this? All of these reports, everything that we're hearing, that this is as locked in as it is. One year <laughs> after, on the morning of the draft, it was Jabari Smith right. going number one to the Magic, and then it ends up being Paolo Bencaro. What, what should listeners and viewers think about this? I just think that draft season is a lot of fun. There's a lot of smoke screens, and like you said, Woj last year said Jabari Smith. All signs point to him, and uh, the line moves accordingly, and then all of a sudden, draft night comes, and Paolo Bencaro is the number one pick. And Last year, I heard Paolo was the preferred pick of the magic. I, uh, I remember talking about that and people were like, really interesting. You know, like it was kind of shocking. Um, Brandon Miller since day one, uh, when the lottery, you know, was done, the Spurs celebrated Wimbenyama. The Hornets have said from day one, it's Brandon Miller. That's their pick. They, they have fallen in love with him. Um, it is a quote unquote fit pick. Uh, but also Mitch Kupchak said that they're not going to make a fit pick. They're going to make the best player pick. So a little bit of a contradictory, uh, thought there in my opinion. Um, but source to say as as close to Monday when MJ saw both guys in the building that Brandon Miller is still the pick. I am not completely sold on that fact and Jordan has basically said he will be involved in the pick but will not make the final decision. Mitch Kupchak will. Um, so I, I even though all signs point to Brandon Miller I'm not sure I'm completely <laughs> sold yet KOC. Why the smokescreen? Like what would be their incentive <laughs> or reason just to stir things up right now as, at the number two pick of it for trade reasons? Yeah. What do you think? That's what I would say. I think it's for trade reasons also there's a there seems to be a common belief that the number three the team with the number three pick the Portland Trailblazers love and fancy yeah. Brandon Miller as well so why not say you like the guy that they like the most to, to maybe entice them to feel like they have to trade up we saw this happen with Markel Fultz Jason Tatum Danny Ainge got all this credit for this wizard move right and uh that's true Could so that. so maybe it's one of those things where that's the mm-hmm. reason you put that information out to make Brandon Miller's value yep. go up um that would be one thing I would point to but in general i think scoot henderson is uh, believed by many to be the number two player in the draft and i wonder how charlotte really feels about it to me the difference is you know scoot henderson six foot two downhill attacking guard you know yeah. he's got the it factor he's you know got these intangibles that people love and resonate with he's he's a mature kid he works hard our boss bill simmons said he acts like a 28 year old yeah, that's loves nice him. Yeah. loves him absolutely <laughs> however he's also six foot two right he gets targeted on defense he's got okay vision as a passer makes a lot of sloppy decisions on the floor but he's he's good and he hasn't proven he can be a consistent shooter whereas Brandon Miller he's the opposite in a way six foot nine getting to the rim is he's been inconsistent had some good moments at Bama last year as a freshman but overall he shot sub 40 percent at the rim according to synergy in the half court those are not good numbers but Mm -hmm. he's six nine he play makes he can shoot he can come off screens and handoffs in high school he was a mid-range pull-up guy He's versatile on defense, takes charges, chase down blocks. To me, Miller is the best player available and the best fit for Charlotte. Mm. I, I mean, I, I I get it with Scoot and LaMelo. I think those two can work together. But I think I think it's really like a, a no-lose in a way for Charlotte with those two guys. It's just a matter of, you know, what path do you want to go down with how you build this team? Whereas for Portland, with the number three pick, if you keep Damian Lillard, Mm. And then you draft Scoot Henderson and you already have Anthony Simons on the roster. That's a, a strange fit. So for them, I think you could be on to something there with Charlotte trying to get Portland to move up to two to pick up an additional asset to get the guy that they absolutely want. Which brings us to our second question here. Yeah. With draft night, 
is there a trade that you would like to see made involving the Portland Trailblazers? There's been so many reports about them in recent weeks. What do you want to see them actually do, Tate? Well, I would like for the Charlotte Hornets, I don't know what camera I'm looking at, Charlotte, pick up the phone, maybe call New Orleans, see about Zion, but uh, that's a sidebar. Uh, I think (laughs) Portland, um, like you said, I think they have a position where their star, who has been dedicated for a decade plus, says... I want to win now. You know where I stand. You know who I am. Uh, He went on IG Live to try to dispel some of the rumors that are going around about where he stands on things. Um, Jimmy Butler doing Dame time to the camera right after the finals. uh, Put a lot of pressure, I think, on Portland um, with Damian Lillard. And um, the idea that they would trade for Zion Williamson is a great one in the sense that Zion is a Nike guy, Jordan guy, goes to Portland. I think he needs eyeballs on him, right? I mean, Q scores, marketability, all these things that are the business side of basketball, they're all you know in question now, unfortunately, because of what we had to deal with on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Thank God that's over, as uh, as everyone on the Pelicans <laughs> has been able to uh, to put out there. <laughs> thank, we're, goodness. We're, thank goodness that's over. Um, but you know, Zion is a supreme talent, former number She's one. Posting pick. on Blue Sky now. Uh, we, 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 please stay <laughs> away from it. Don't don't check it out. Don't read it. Um, Nobody does. Leave Zion. <laughs> leave Zion alone. I'm a Carolina guy, and I'm saying that. Let, let the man live. Um, but Zion is still an asset. That would be nice. I think Paul George is the name that comes to mind. Um, as far as trying to put a star next to Dame, that makes sense. Um, Paul George is fine being the number two option. He seems very content in that position. Dame can be the number one guy with a wing like Paul George. And if they can stay healthy, they can really contend. So if you're Portland, that's what you're looking at. And maybe that's why if you take a Brandon Miller, you say, we have young Paul George, give us current Paul George, and let's make a little deal here. I get it from Portland's perspective to want to go for it all with Dame. He just had a career best season. I mean, that was the best we ever saw Dame. It was one year after it was the worst we ever saw Dame (laughs) because he was hurt. He had the abdomen injury. So I think with, with Portland, I get it. And Dame works with you. He's like part of that front office. Essentially he's involved in decisions at this point at the same time. If you could draft Scoot or Brennan Miller at number three, have him with Shaden Sharp and some other young guys that you get back for Damian Lillard future picks. I mean, you could quickly rebuild and have a really good young core. Michael Pina, in an article on The Ringer, he had a a trade idea not involving the Heat, but involving the Nets. That was the other team that Dame mentioned Mm. he would like to go to. He said he's friends with Bam Adebayo with Miami and then with Mikel Bridges with Brooklyn. And he said, how about Lillard to the Nets for Ben Simmons, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, and five unprotected first round draft picks via the Suns and the Mavericks. If you were to get that with Portland, to me, that's the trade I would like to see most. Aside from Zion going to Portland, which would just be cool for basketball reasons, second to that would be Dame going to Brooklyn. I just think that combination there with all their wings and length and versatility, Dame and Mikel Bridges would be fun to watch. And then for Portland, I mean, they'd have a lot of great future picks and a good young core. I would love to see what Cronin and Schmitz and that Blazers front office would be able to do with a clean slate mm-hmm. post Dame. I think it could be potentially exciting times in Portland very soon. And we know front offices don't like to make phone calls, especially to players. So the fact that they have to include Dame in a lot of these decisions, they probably like the idea. They're enticed by the idea of a clean slate, like you said. And Brooklyn, even watching them in the playoffs, right? Bridges is their number one option. Cam Johnson, hopefully they can bring him back in free agency. But if you have those two guys, thing one and thing two on the wing, wing one and wing two, Mm -hmm. uh, and you bring in a star like Dame Lillard, now we're looking at Brooklyn in a totally different lens. Uh, 
Claxton's another guy. I think can figure out a way to get him back. And uh, that's why you got those picks for Kevin Durant. So you can make a move like this for another disgruntled star. It makes sense. Brooklyn makes a lot of sense to me on basketball, on paper. And then from a basketball standpoint, it'd be great for Dame to have a chance, right? Isn't that we all, we all want Dame to just have a fair shake, right? We've seen, he's had great moments. The Paul George shot, um, you know, hit a game winner early on his career, 2013, right? In the playoffs. I mean, he's had playoff moments, but we want to see an actual playoff contender with Dame. Why not Brooklyn? I know Pat Riley will be very upset about this. I feel like he knows something, though, because the way that they approached Beal was very laissez. We don't care. You can take Bradley Beal. Enjoy Phoenix. And it felt like they had another plan on the back end. So I think Dame Lillard will uh, there, there will be something that Miami tries to figure out there. But Brooklyn makes a lot of sense. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do, too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. As of Wednesday afternoon, there was reports from Sham Sharani of FanDuel TV Love that the Shams. Celtics, an actual contender, Dame did not want to go there, but there were reports that they're going after Chris Dapps Porzingis wow. from the Washington Wizards. So we see Beal go to the Suns. Chris Dapps Porzingis could be heading to the Celtics in a deal, a three-way deal that would send Marcus Morris from the Clippers to the Wizards and Malcolm Brogdon from the Celtics to the Clippers with draft compensation also going to Washington. Now, KP, I mean, he's been injured throughout a lot of his career. A lot of people are not high on him as a player, but he's coming off a career best season. Some stats for you, Tate, from from, from second spectrum on offense. He led the NBA in points scored per possession on post-ups. 1.29. He was Fifth in the NBA on points scored her closeout attacking a rotating Mm. defense when he was behind the arc from three going into the lane. 1.23 points per closeout on defense. He was number four in the NBA defending pick and rolls. 0.93 points allowed per pick and roll behind 80 Stephen Adams, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and right ahead of Walker Kessler, who was unbelievable as a rookie for the Jazz. Love Walker Kessler. KP played 65 games. Shot 40% on catch-and-shoot threes, was attacking closeouts, posting up better than he ever has, defending the pick-and-roll, blocking shots. Mm-hmm. I I wrote earlier this week in the ringer that he is going to be one of the steals of the offseason if a team can get him from Washington. Boston was just in the finals a year ago, and they almost had a chance again this year. They didn't make it. But if they get Chris Dabbs Porzingis with Time Lord, Robert Williams, and Al Horford in that front court, to me, like they kind of propel themselves to the top of the East. And maybe that's an exaggeration with KP's health, but 
he raises their ceiling. I think Brogdon, as much as it, you know, on paper looked great because he was obviously sixth man of the year, it did seem like there was a chemistry issue with Marcus Smart and him. There was a little bit maybe, I don't want to read too much into it, but you know, we got the body language Dr. Bill Simmons on our side here, so <laughs> I'll take a note from him. It seemed like there might be some issue with uh, you know who is the point guard of this team. Marcus Smart is the point guard of this team, despite him not being a traditional point guard. Uh, getting someone like Chris Stops who can have a, you know, a kind of a reinvigoration of his career in Boston makes a lot of sense and rim protection adding rim protection is a great idea because guess what you're going to have to deal with Nikola Jokic Mm -hmm. you're going to have to deal with Giannis Antetokounmpo you're going to have to deal with Joel Embiid so that's a nice piece to add well and let's say it is a Boston Denver finals next Mm -hmm. year right you can space Jokic out yes and that's something that Miami couldn't do with Bam Adebayo Uh, he could take him to the free throw line that's about as far out as he could absolutely right and so I think for Boston this is about having lineup versatility you can play with two bigs one big you Mm. can space out a guy with KP out there to me like KP I'm surprised there has not been more hype around what he did this past season because it was like oh my goodness this is finally the version of Chris Tapp's Porzingis that a lot of people were hoping for. In Dallas, he couldn't post up the way he does now. He only relied on the turnaround jumper. He's much more diverse from that area of the floor. He can do more off the dribble. I don't know, man. Like Maybe it's just a one-year blip, and he starts getting hurt again next year wherever he's playing. But if the Celtics do land him, and maybe they do by the time people watch this, we are recording this on Wednesday. Uh, to me, that could be one of the home run deals of the entire offseason. We did get another actual trade, though. The Nuggets traded with the Pacers. They traded 40 in this year's draft yep. and a 2024 first-round draft pick, the worst of potential picks, to the Pacers for 29 and 32, which means the Nuggets now have 29, 32, and 37 in this year's draft class. Bruce Brown going to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Jeff Green as well. It feels like Denver right now, they're at a point where like they draft Peyton Watson last year. He didn't play much, but Christian Brown did. They have young players that they feel good about. Now they have three first-round draft picks. I mean, three first in the middle of the draft. Mm-hmm. And they could get guys to help them. Yeah, Christian Brown is a success story for them because he goes from winning in college to winning in the NBA championship. That doesn't happen often. We saw Magic Johnson do it. There's only five guys all time that have ever done that. So Christian Brown is an anomaly, anomaly, but he is uh, also kind of the the table setter for what they're looking for, right? And one person or one player that would be in that group right around that range is Andre Jackson Jr. from oh. Connecticut, oh. who's a guy who I think has... Um, He'd be perfect. Yeah, right. At, at worst, he is going to be a perfect perfect wing on the defensive end to back up a Michael Porter Jr. who has had back problems and things like that. So you shore up the wing position a little bit. You get some depth there. And uh, I think he's a guy that has a pretty high ceiling. Um, and I think he can develop in a similar way that Christian mm-hmm. Brown has. So that's a name I would throw out there. Even Bruce, he can play the Bruce Brown right. role. I mean, uh, to me, like if you, you don't d- want to put that in the hands of a rookie, of but course. you're right. I mean, the, if you draft him, yes. suddenly maybe you're like, no, maybe we don't have to pay Bruce Brown and Bruce Brown go get paid. You yes. know what I mean? I, I appreciated, uh, you know, the sentimental value of how he acted at the, the parade. He was like one more year. I don't care about money. Yeah, should I opt in? <laughs> um, and uh, Michael Malone was basically like telling him that he is going to opt in. But I appreciate his agent for being smarter for that. And Bruce Brown, like go get paid by the Pistons, go get paid, you know, somewhere else. But San Antonio, right. With Wemby, something like there's that. A, there's a ton of options for Bruce Brown and shout out to him. He had a great run in the finals, but if you can find, find some of those uh, talented guys in, you know, in the draft at that range. I think that would be great for Denver. 
Who's the Christian Brown of this draft class? Who's the rookie that's going to be contributing in the playoffs? I think that's a, it's a great question. I mean, you kind of can rack your brain or, and you know, a lot of this stuff is right. Who, who you favor, who you like. I just see a world in which Jaime Jaquez Jr. <laughs> um, is a contributor on a winning team. And I hope that he gets drafted to a winning environment um, somewhere like Utah wouldn't be, you know, the preferred destination for someone like Jaime Jaquez Jr. No, no disrespect to Utah, but if he goes to, you know, the heat or the warriors or even the Lakers, right. Who have the 17th pick. I think that would be a great spot for him. I'm, I'm with you on Jaime. Like, I think he's going to come in right away. I've, I've heard rumblings of him even going as high as 18 wow. to the Miami heat. And mm-hmm. like, there's the reports out on Wednesday that the heat could be trading down from 18. Maybe they want to trade down. Cause I still, still think they can get Hawkes in the twenties. That would make some sense having Hawkes, you know, play underneath Jimmy Butler learn from him. Like that would be exciting to watch Colby Jones out of Xavier. Mm-hmm. I think he's another guy who could That's come in and, pl- and play right away, depending on like so much of it's fit, right? Like some of these guys are going to get drafted to teams that are young and they're not going to get an opportunity to even be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But so, so much about it is like for Denver to have 29, 32 and 37. I mean, like it, for them, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see if they even try to trade up more. And you well, just, all you need is one of those to hit, right? Yes. I mean, that's the other part. You right. take more swings in that mm-hmm. range and you're saying, hopefully we find a Brogdon, a Draymond, you know, someone, Bruce Brown, one of these guys in that second round that immediately know how to win, know how to play and can impact immediately. And sometimes, you know, those hits turn into a Draymond Green mm-hmm. or a Jimmy Butler. And they don't always, I'm not sure if there's a guy like that necessarily with that upside in this year's range from the 20 to 40 range, but sometimes guys just, Get better more than you ever could have expected. Yeah. I was Desmond Bain with Memphis a couple of years ago. He goes 30, and he's, an, he's 22, 23 years old when he comes in, and there's like, oh, yeah, he's a shooter, and that's about all he is. That's what the skeptics said. But, you know, I think, you know, for him, he has exceeded a lot of expectations. I had him 20 on my board, but I never expected him to be even as great as he is right now. Yeah. Uh, and he could only get continue to get better. Another name, Jalen Wilson, uh, Christian Brown's national championship yeah. teammate. Uh, Jalen Wilson knows how to score the basketball, and he's got the size. He's played down. He slid down to the five at times. He's played the four consistently. I think he'll probably translate more to a three in the NBA. But he's another name that if you, you know, want to take a flyer on a guy and you need some score punch off the bench, Jalen Wilson can get the job done. So we're talking about, you know, Boston potentially getting KP, Denver making moves, trying to bolster their team to continue the run and have an actual dynasty. Young, cheap depth. We Absolutely. Love it. It's critical. However, you know, there are teams on the up and up. You mentioned Utah. Mm-hmm. They're a team. They have 9 and 16. We have these teams in the, in the middle of the lottery, the middle of the first round that are trying to be that next team. Are there prospects in that range that you are irrationally high on as home run swing players or guys that you feel like are going to have long careers, whatever your kind of mindset is, the guys that you really love in that mid to late lottery range? I wonder where he'll end up going because I have him ranked, uh, you know, we did our our OSP big board. I had him ranked uh, seventh, but Cason Wallace out of Kentucky. I just think he's one of those guys, um, you know, we, there's been a lot of Kentucky guys like this, uh, whether it be Devin Booker is a perfect example going 13th. But um, I just think Casey Wallace, if you have, let's say, Utah at number nine, he's still on the board. 
that's a great pick. Um, and I think he is a guy who can defend full court. Uh, you know what I mean? Pick up a guy full court, no problem. Can handle the pressure, can handle being the, the guy who has the ball in his hands. And I think um, just his downhill finishing ability, all these sorts of things only are going to improve. And I don't even think we saw the best version of him at Kentucky. So uh, he is a name I would throw out there. When do we ever see I know, the best yeah, version of, of course, Kentucky Yeah, <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, John Calipari, I mean, he's not getting the best out of these guys. I don't no. know what's going on there, but uh, yeah, he's a name. And I feel like Danny Ainge is, uh, is probably hot on hot on his trail to figure out how to get him mm-hmm. to Utah. How about Taylor Hendricks? Out yeah. of UCF? I mean, to, for he, for me, he's the guy that I really like. I have him sixth on my board. Yeah. I think he fits the qualities of maybe he's not the high upside potential star, but he is like the high upside star role player mm-hmm. where he can bring versatile schemes on defense because of what he provides as a weak side rim protector. He can block shots. He can switch on offense. He's a near 40% catch and shoot guy. He can attack closeouts six, eight, Long arms, tough-minded player. I think wherever he gets drafted, I would hope it's with a team that has maybe a a center who can provide some beef around around the paint or space the floor like Indiana's Miles Turner. I'd be curious about him there as a fit. I'd be I'd be interested in him with Utah. Uh, as another example, with yeah. Walker Kessler protecting the rim, Lowry Markinen, like how big they could be. I just think Hendricks can fit anywhere, any team. Like we talked so much about prospects. Oh, if they can improve this or if they can improve that, Hendricks just needs to continue on the natural trajectory that he's on and it can fit on any team in the entire NBA. And when you were describing him, it sounded a whole lot to me like Aaron Gordon, right? So if you can figure out a way to have him next to, you know, an ideal scenario, a top five center all time, <laughs> that would be sure. a great spot to, <laughs> a great spot to fall to. I mean, I, I think Hendricks is obviously coached by Johnny Dawkins, uh, a great basketball coach, a great basketball mind. So he knows the game really well. Um, I think he's developed really well. And I think if you put him in a situation where he is not expected to be your number one, number two, number three scoring option, he'll flourish. You mm-hmm. know, very similar to, I guess Aaron Gordon is probably the number three or number four scoring option for Denver, probably more number four, and MPJ is probably number three. Um, but that's the best place for him to be. And you were the first person, KFC, I, I saw that high for him, and now it feels like that's consensus. I mean, as you get information from front offices, they all love Taylor Hendricks. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where he falls, though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he could go seven to Indiana. He could fall all the way to the ten. Mark for Dallas. I think Dallas at that 10 spot, if they don't trade out of it, they like Taylor Hendricks or Derek Lively, the Duke center. I, I think Lively is the pick there. It, it does seem like that's what, from what I hear from mm-hmm. Dallas, they love Lively. It, apparently. I mean, like you never know what to believe sometimes mm-hmm. around draft season, but my understanding is that Lively has really impressed teams with his jumper through the pre-draft process, which is insane. Yes. This guy did not make a shot outside of the paint until February yeah. at Duke. I mean, he, so, re- he uh, really he stunk. Let's just uh, say he stunk. Uh, the only February. shot he can make is a dunk, and, <laughs> and even those are question marks. KOC. So I didn't know what was going on. Um, it looked like a guy who had never played basketball before until about mid February, and uh, and then something clicked, especially on the defensive end. So I think that's what Dallas is looking for. They're looking for rim protection. I think that that is what Jokic has taught all of us and Denver. Right, you're going to have to have rim protection, and Anthony Davis did his best for the Lakers, but. Even though it was the closest sweep in history, we know we hang the banner. Um, you know, you're going to need rim protection against the, the Denver Nuggets. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, There was 
a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Do you have a favorite prospect to team pairing mm. in, in the first round? Yeah, I. Uh, so Jaime Jaquez, first and foremost, I'm a big fan of his game. I think he's fundamentally sound. And Jokic has also taught us that, yes, your athleticism, you know, you can jump out of the gym. But if you don't know how to play basketball, it's not going to work against him. Uh, Jaime to the Miami Heat. Uh, is a great one that you threw out that they love him. I love that fit because it, it's perfect. Him and Jimmy play similar, but I would love to see Hame go to the Golden State Warriors. Okay. Um, I just think that Golden State, Mike Dunleavy's taking over. Dunleavy's a Duke guy. He likes veteran players. He likes guys that know how to play the game the right way. Steph Curry said, I don't want projects. I've seen Jonathan Kaminga. <laughs> I, I want no more projects <laughs> around James me. Wiseman and James Wiseman. <laughs> I, I think James Wiseman was a better player uh, than Kaminga as far as like what they can translate to. Kaminga still needs to develop into a player. He's a great prospect, no, no doubt about it. A lot of potential. Um, but getting someone like Hame in the building, I think, would be great for Golden State. He's a winner. He's a California kid. I think he he gets it, whatever it is. And uh, I think Steph Curry, on draft night, you make that call if you're Dunleavy and you say we're drafting Hame. I think he's happy about that. I would think so, too. Like, Hakez on the Warriors would be amazing to watch. The Former world. Under Armour guy when he was at UCLA before they switched True. back, too. So there Absolutely. you go. There's a little connection there. That, that's a good point. Bad there. ankles, KOC. Bad Who ankle. else has had yes. bad ankles? <laughs> Thanks, Steph Curry. You can learn from Steph about yeah. what he did to resolve. I don't know what issues. he did, but Under yes. Armour knows. Well, and, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> maybe Hawkes finds out. I think with him as well, like, can you imagine just him with his playmaking ability and footwork and that Warriors yeah. motion system? Of course. I mean, my goodness. He's going to get a lot of open threes, too. Those yes. same threes that Harrison Barnes missed once upon a time, Hame Hawkes knocks him down. And, and talking about motion, that's why I really like the idea of Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan don't, going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Nice. I think with Bufkin, he is so good moving without the ball. Kind of Jamal Murray-esque with the way mm -hmm. Murray operates with Jokic. I think Bufkin with OKC, you could have him with Chet Holmgren. And dribble handoffs. Is that number 12 you're thinking? Number 12, okay. yes. And I'm not sure he'll actually make it there. Maybe it requires a trade-up from Oklahoma City. Maybe he ends up sliding. We don't know yet. Cam Whitmore is falling, it seems like. Because of medicals, about. correct? Yes, yeah. medicals and, and iffy workouts as well. So a lot to shake out still in the middle of the lottery. But Oklahoma City, if they can get Bufkin, pairing him with Giddy and SGA mm. and Chet Holmgren, the primary guys – Buffkin can kind of just fill the gaps, spot up shooter, cutter, mover and dribble handoff actions. Like Sounds that. like a great six man for OKC. Be perfect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely perfect. Tate, Chet Holmgren didn't mm. play his actual rookie year, but so that means the 23-24 season will be his rookie season. He'll be competing against Victor Wembanyama with the Spurs, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, the Thompson Twins. We got a long way to go. Summer League has yet to be played yet, but today, morning of the draft, 
Who's your pick to win rookie of the year in 2024? Well, if you look at the odds for the number one pick, I think they're minus 50,000 for women. Yama <laughs> to be the number one pick. I don't know what his odds for rookie of the year are. I'm sure they're like minus 20,000 or something like that. Something insane. But I do think that San Antonio is um, going to be very smart about the way that they approach Wimby. I think that um, not to say that they're one-to-one comparisons, but what Cleveland did with Evan Mobley, they started him at small forward and then they slowly have tried to slide him down. Eventually they want to get him to the five and when they do get him ready to play the five they'll get rid of Jared Allen it seems like that's their plan I think the Spurs will do something similar I think Wimby will start at the three or the four Zach Collins will probably be the five or you know JaVale McGee or someone that they signed to be the starting center Um, and so I don't think he's going to be rookie of the year despite the odds probably saying so and I think uh, you know Chet Holmgren who is going to try to pull a Blake Griffin or a Ben Simmons I think they both did this where they basically redshirted their rookie years but then their rookie years were their second years and they went on to win Rookie of the Year. So uh, I think Chet Holmgren would be my pick for Rookie of the Year. Chet Holmgren had a quote recently where he's asked, who's the best player in the league? And he said, me in two months. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to love the confidence. And people forget, Chet Holmgren was hurt by LeBron James. Mm-hmm. So if there's anyone, like, the, the only person that he couldn't hold up against is the force that is LeBron James. Some consider <laughs> him the GOAT. I think that is a, you know, that is no knock on Chet Holmgren. So I think he's all right. I don't think he's a frail guy. Mm-hmm. And if there's, a, if there's a lanky big that I have to pick to bet on next year for rookie of the year it's not Wimby it's Chet I look forward to seeing the first Chet versus Wimby game oh it's gonna be magnificent it's gonna be beautiful it's gonna be a lot of gangly movements you know what I mean (laughs) like (laughs) it's gonna be like the incredible uh whatever those things are outside of car salesman yeah right that is that's gonna what it's gonna look like but with a basketball (laughs) in their hand so that'll be fun I'm picking Wimby to win rookie of the year okay (laughs) not a bad pick (laughs) minus (laughs) 20,000 Look it up on Fanduel. You're not going to make much money on that pick. (laughs) Tate, we will be on the Bill Simmons podcast on Thursday night talking about everything with the NBA draft. I'm excited for that, man. I think I think Thursday night's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. When do the man. Celtics pick, by the way? They have the 35th pick at this current Oof. moment. We'll see if that's included in the KP deal, but mm. Mm, we'll see. Maybe we'll start recording the podcast. Was Draymond that. 35 or was he 36? He's, he's right in right, that, right range. that range. Yeah, so we're, we're, in Dr- we're in Draymond range. So whoever gets picked there, <laughs> Seth Lundy's the new Draymond. There you go. Tate, I look forward to it, man. Have, have a good rest of your day. I'll be back shortly with Mirren Fader. Thanks, KOC. Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. I'm here with the Ringers, Mirren Fader, a New York Times bestselling author. What an honor to have Mirren Fader here. How are you doing, Mirren? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, I'm doing excellent. On the ringer.com this year, you profile a whole bunch of NBA draft prospects amongst all the other stories you write, the features. Victor Wembanyama is the number one player this year, but you profiled some of the other guys. You looked at Amen and Osar Thompson, the Thompson twins out of the overtime elite, Scoot Henderson from the G League Ignite. For people around the league who aren't necessarily following the draft all year long, there's a lot of focus on Victor. People see the highlights that go viral and all that. But what what stood out to you about the Thompson twins and Scoot Henderson as characters entering the league that people should care about? Well, first of all, they're actually very similar. They are both incredibly intelligent, all of them. Um, They're intelligent and they have insane work ethics. I think when we talk about the draft, we so emphasize the physical. We want to know how people are going to perform athletically. But I often find that the mental part is underrated. And I think 
all of these players, they share the same growth mindset. They all look at their mistakes. They're perfectionists. They want to be better. They don't think they're finished products. And, you know, I just, I just love that. I think everything you're seeing right now, as impressive as they are, it's only a little glimpse of, of how good they can truly be. Well, Scoot Henderson, we'll start off with him with the G League 90s, potentially the number two or the number three pick in the draft. Six foot two guard, downhill attacking presence. He's shown flashes as a pull-up shooter from the outside, albeit he's been inconsistent. Good playmaker, um, shows solid passing vision. He's not necessarily like a top-of-the-line Chris Paul-esque playmaker, but he's very good. With Scoot, you mentioned the personality aspect and how you know both the Thompson Twins and Scoot are players who have a growth mindset. You had a, a quote in your feature story about Scoot where he said, I love watching me mess up. Um, I, I thought that spoke to, you know, can you extra- kind of explain more of that mindset that he has? Because I feel like that's what teams find so appealing about him is just that approach to the game that he has. Yes, I love that quote. I mean, he's not just saying that. Like, it's not lip service. He genuinely likes watching his mistakes. Um, He's obsessive about correcting things. Um, And this was put into him really, really young. He would watch film when he was younger. He was always listening and observing. And so he was taught from a young age, you don't just watch yourself succeed. You don't talk about the good things that you do. You focus on your mistakes. You know, his dad, who coached him, would harp on him and point out mistakes. And in a way that I almost feel felt to me sounded like this person is being trained to play at a very high level from a very young age. There was always just something about him that was older. And I think when he watches himself make mistakes, it's not a shot to his ego. He gets almost excited about it. Like, great, now I can improve. He's, um, I mean, I interviewed him back in October around the time of the Victor Wembenyama, Scoot Henners, and G League Night game. And, you know, what I sense from him, like he he mentioned, you you talked, I mean, you have a bunch of books behind you. Uh, I'm not <laughs> as much of a reader as you. You're, you're a New York Times bestseller. I'm not much of a reader at all, but Scoot Henderson is a yes. reader. Um, he's a big time reader. And like his intelligence, he seems to, he's a teenager, um, but he's a very mature teenager. And yes. that's something you talk to NBA teams about where they say, well, some kids come in at 18, nine years old with the maturity of a 15 year old. Some kids come in at 18, 19 with the maturity of a 23, 24 year old. It it seems like Scoot falls into that latter category, which would you say is that something that could help him kind of transition into the league as a professional? Absolutely. You are not going to see this person out and about doing things that, you know, aren't representing the team well. I mean, his teammates told me, like, we kind of never see him because he's always in his room reading. Um, He likes that alone time and that introspection. You know, one of the books that we talked about in particular is one of his favorites. It's called The Purple Cow. And it's about being different. It's a business book, but Scoot likes it because it's about, you know, not doing the safe route, being, being risky, being an individual, being purple in a world of boring brown cows. And so I think I love that anecdote about him liking that book in particular because the intelligence you see on the court is the intelligence off the court. Like he is a very thoughtful individual. He thinks hard about who he is, what he wants out of life. He's just a very mature person. I, I really did feel like I was talking with somebody who was, you know, a 10-year veteran in the NBA and not somebody just, wow, I'm so excited. My life is about to change. You know, I, I profile a lot of young guys and I just didn't get that vibe of like, wow, I'm so excited to be here. He's like ready to compete. 
game wise, do you feel like it, obviously he has the mindset and the approach game wise? He didn't necessarily improve as much with his second season with the ignite from his first season. His shooting numbers were down across the board. Um, he didn't make significant progress as a playmaker either. Um, do you think would scoot uh, what what was behind that lack of progress from year one to year two? Uh, do you have any concerns with his game in that regard? Um, or do you think that that's just like a teenager, you know, playing in, in a, in the second, third best league in the world. And, and you can't expect that type of progress. I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure, you know, um, when I did the profile, it was before that. And I, I don't know. I can tell you this. Nobody is harder on him than him. So if anyone's pointing out lack of progress or not shooting well, like he will be the first to say, I didn't do this right. I could be better. So I assure you he's working hard. But I don't know. When I think of Scoot, I just think he's a gamer. So he can have an off game. He can, you know, whatever happens, I still think you put him on the floor like he's ready to compete. I, I do. I just think he's physically ready, despite the things that you mentioned. I don't have concern. I mean, he he just looks like an NBA player. He thinks like an NBA player. Um, yeah, and I think maybe because I do know that mentally and the way that he is wired and honestly, the, the family members that he has around him in place to keep him grounded, those are the things that make me feel like, you know what, this guy's in a good place. He's incredibly grounded. He's He's fully capable. How do you think Scoot Henderson compares to Amen and Osar Thompson, who are projected to go behind him in the draft? But there are people you talk to around the league that say, oh, actually, you know, Amen Thompson's the better prospect. Uh, how, how do you stack up, you know, some of these uh, younger players entering the league as ball handling, shot creating guards? I mean, I can't I, I don't think, you know hey, this person is better than the other. I think, you know, to me, that that is your skill and, and what you're so good at. For me, I think that what impresses me is the confidence about Amen and Asar and Scoot. Um, it takes a lot of confidence to have a completely different route and take a very risky route doing these untraditional leagues. And so I, I think people sort of underestimate what that says about them and their character. So I don't know. I, I think, of course, they're all incredibly gifted. They're all incredibly talented. Their athleticism is insane. I mean, for all these profiles I wrote, I would just watch clips of all of them, and just be astounded. Like, how old are these people? Um, but yes, um, I I don't know. I think Amen and Asar, I, I joked with them. I was like, I think you'd really like Scoot, like as a person to hang out with because he's just like you guys. He wants to be the best. He has that alpha top dog mentality. He's not scared of anyone. And he is completely obsessed with breaking down film and talking shop. And they were like, that's so funny you say that. We've heard that too. So there's a, they, they can't wait to compete against Scoot, but they also, I, I think, would get along with him on a, on a friendship level. They definitely do seem to have like a lot of old overlapping qualities um, as you know with their approaches to the game they're both professionals they're basketball junkies I mean they love watching the NBA I remember talking to Scoot when I interviewed him he's like he loves watching Chris Paul and all these other types of point guards and learning from them and just likes watching for pure entertainment and the Thompson twins they, they love watching basketball they would watch basketball even if they weren't you know about to enter the league and I mean that that's a positive quality that a lot of players don't have when they enter the league and with the Thompson twins, one of the things that I thought was interesting in your story was some of the detail you got into with what they've done to improve their shots. Um, they've been poor shooters throughout their lives. 
Um, they've done everything they can to change their shooting mechanics. What did you learn that kind of went into uh, their approaches and their open-mindedness to changing their shooting mechanics? I mean, open-minded is such an understatement. I think we really need to appreciate where their shots were you know, 15 months ago, it was night and day to what it is now. I mean, their shooting coach who deserves a ton of credit, Pat Quinn said, basically they had to relearn the entire motion of shooting. So imagine being a potential top prospect in the NBA or college or whatever they wanted to do, 16, 17 years old, and you're learning how to shoot. I cannot overstate how terrifying that is and how, um, how little ego you need to have to be able to be receptive to something like that. And so Quinn would take them near the wall and they would just practice almost chest passes to the wall to work on the backspin. So we're talking about breaking down literal movement from wrist to fingertips. And I was just so impressed with that anecdote because... I've profiled tons of guys who, if you said, hey, we're not going to shoot for the first two weeks, we're just going to throw passes at the wall. They'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm so no wonder why their shots haven't gotten better. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is that is false. That is false. I'm not going to let you get away from that. I will, address don't that. Lie here, Marin. I will address that in a second. Anyways, um, so back to back to what I was saying. They would do it against the wall. I cannot with you. So false, listeners, so false. And um, anyway, they just, they worked and they worked and they worked and they had to trust the, the system and they had to trust that, hey, we're at OTE for a reason. We don't have the pressure of having to like win at a college program. We can take this necessary time to work on our shots. And um, if you've seen the clips like I have, you would know that literally their shots are night and day. There's a fluidity about them that just was not there as far as like gathering release confidence. Um, you know, I think it was a SAR that hit the game winning three for the championship at OTE. But So it, it's definitely just gone leaps and bounds. And that's why I feel so, um, so uh, good, I guess, about their potential, because if they're making that type of progress within a one year span, what kind of shooters will they be in five, six, seven, eight years? That's why I always emphasize the mindset, like I said, because you can always, if you if you truly let go of ego and you believe that you can be better, your potential, your upside is even higher. And, and that's why I think their upside is so high. I mean, I say that kind of tongue in cheek because the results didn't fall last year, but the mechanical changes did improve. They experienced streaks, especially Osar Thompson during the OT playoffs where he was, you know, shooting the heck out of the ball. Like you said, he had the game winner. Um, He had moments where he was hitting clutch shots. And you look at the pre-draft video now and Osar Thompson's shot looks smooth. It looks very good. And granted, it's open gym and all that. It's encouraging to see the mechanical progress that he's made over the course of time. I'm Thompson. I you know, the people I talk to, his shot hasn't come around quite as much as our SARS. But I think with both of these kids, like we can talk about, you know, their weaknesses as jump shooters and, and will they be liabilities from behind the arc or as pull up guys. But the thing with them is they bring so many other qualities to the floor. And I think this is why Kevin Ollie said in your story that they can be Hall of Famers. They're not just, you know, perimeter guys in the sense that they can live without that skill. They're downhill attackers. They're athletic at-room finishers. They're selfless playmakers. They are awesome defenders, especially Osar Thompson. He is locked down type of guy who's going to be have positional versatility. So 
I think for both of them, they're safe prospects in the sense that they bring so many other qualities that are clearly of NBA quality. It's just a matter of what is their ceiling actually going to be if their jumper is always inconsistent, no matter how much work they put into it. Just like some people just don't have touch and maybe that'll end up being the case for them, but they're no doubt putting in the work and doing everything that they can to get better. And I think that's what's admirable and why, you know, Kevin Ollie's so high on them, why you're high on them and why they're going to be top 10 picks in the draft because they bring more than just their shots. So was that part of your conversations at all with them about kind of their, their approach to the game? Cause they're not just, you know, scorers at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they love, they are old school throwback in the sense that they love this idea of I am going to guard the best player. Like they love that comp, that competition, that, that spirit of lock locking up, you know, a lot of young guys, you have to teach them how to play defense. These people want to play defense. Um, so I actually think that separates them. And like some of the things that they do just in terms of like weak side blocks, it's, it's astounding. And I think I didn't really appreciate the athleticism until I saw it up close, especially on the defensive end. Um, they are very, very much, uh, in tune with the fact that you don't want to be a one-trick pony. You have to do multiple things well. And what I found interesting, I don't even think this made it into the piece, was they read what scouts say about them. They very much are in tune with the conversation. They don't get lost in the narrative. But if a critic makes a comment that makes sense to them, they're like, okay, cool. Like, you know what? He's right. Like, I should actually work on this. So I actually really like that. It's kind of like the scoot thing, right? I love watching me mess up. Um, so they are very much aware that they need to be complete players. And that's why I think the shooting thing will come. Um, but the other thing is, and it sounds so simple, they are really gym rats. They love basketball. They like a man was like, I have slept everywhere on this court except right up there. He was like pointing to the third floor. So I just think you can't really substitute that joy. There's a lot of people and this is I've always wanted to do this story on somebody that is very successful and has made a lot of money but hates basketball. You know, because there are people like that in the NBA that don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't care about winning. They just want to make their money and go. But that's not a men in a SAR. Like, they love this with all their hearts, and they want to be great, and they know they're not great yet. So I really respect that about them. In your interviews with them, like, obviously, siblings can be dramatically different personality-wise. They seem kind of similar, but what differences did you observe between them personality-wise? It's slight, but it definitely makes a difference. Um, I think Asar is more laid back and he's more willing to try something off of whim, you know, just go with the flow. A man is a thinker. And I say this as a fellow thinker. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, people say, oh, I'm type A. I think I think a man has that type of perfectionist quality to him. And I think the thinking is actually a good thing. It's it's his drive to become great. So I think they're slightly different. Asar has, of course, incredible drive and wants to become great as well. But he's just not as, you know, uh, I don't know, just second guessing sometimes as, as a man might be. Um, they're both really funny. Like they're very funny to be around. They're fun. I think they will be locker room favorites. Um, they're also just different in the sense of like, 
they want people to know that literally they are different people. And that was a big theme of the story is that they've always been linked. They've always been called twin. They're often mistaken in scouting videos and captions. And it really bothers them because they love each other. They support each other, but they're like, look, I'm a SAR and I'm a man. And so I think, you know, it's, it's just important to treat them as individuals as similar as they are. There are these slight differences to them. I have Osar one spot ahead of Aman in my rankings, and like it's like really close. It's a coin flip between them, in my opinion. I just think the the confidence level in an Osar's jumper is higher than it is with Aman. One of the the things that like the counter argument against that is, well, Aman is the the he's the one hundredth percentile athlete. Osar is more of like ninety third, ninety fourth percentile athlete. He's not like elite of the elite. He's just you know elite, <laughs> and I think that's the difference between them athletically. However, with Asar, he has been a better defensive player in their two years playing in the OTE. Um, you mentioned kind of that decisiveness that he has personality-wise where he doesn't think he just does. I am curious to know what's going to happen for him in the NBA if he gets drafted into a situation that says, hey, you know, Amen's been the guy handling the ball for years, but we think you can do that too. And we want to put the ball in your hands and be the decision maker and see what happens. I'm very intrigued by what could happen like nature nurture wise with both of them going into different situations as comparable players. They're similar, um, similar personalities, as you're saying, similar games on the court, just with some subtle differences. When you look at the top 10 um, draft order could change on draft night. Um, but are there any kind of ideal fits that you have on your mind uh, for both our men and for our to have the best success moving forward in the NBA? I mean, I, I think the best quote in the piece was um, Damian Wilkins, and he was like, it's kind of not like, okay, who's slightly better? It's like, well, what does a team need? Kind of like what you're saying based on fit, because they can each adapt. And one of the things I thought was really, really cool at OTE was that they would separate them. They'd work out on their own. So they got used to, you know, each playing the one and each doing their own thing, which I think was like really obviously great preparation for this moment. Um, I don't know. I seem to think that like a man could go to Houston. I know, of course, I'm seeing a star with the magic. I think both of those would work. I, and the reason why I think it's so, you can't necessarily say, oh, one would be better, you know, at Houston or one would be better over here because, because they are so similar, but also because they are so adaptable. Like if you tell them, go here, you will not see complaints, any of that type of stuff. Like they're just so easily moldable. Um, and they know that they know that they're going to have to earn their keep, which is why I don't think, you know, Hey, one place is particularly better than the other. I just think they're so adaptable that they would make it work and they would contribute. You might not see the leaps and bounds that we're talking about in terms of shooting this rookie year, but I do think if they're in the right situation with the right coach who, you know, believes in them and, and makes them feel comfortable, they, they can thrive. Well, Marin, I look forward to seeing where they land on draft night and people can read your stories over at the ringer.com and all the other great work that you do. I appreciate you joining me on beyond the arc, Marin. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere.
Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.